The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Got a midweek edition of Birds 365 ready to rock and roll for you for the next two hours right here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. You got your Mac and Mac Birds 365 guys, McMullen and McDonald. Jay Mac, I know you were streaming your life away yesterday, zooming your life away <laughs> because there are a couple of uh, big press gatherings with Eagles ties in yesterday's uh, owners meeting down in Florida. First, Nick Sirianni, and then Jeff Lurie. But before you even go there, I need to ask you, how excited are you about Kelly Green? <laughs> uh, you hit me there right off the bat. Yes, yeah, I, did. I don't. I don't give a flying. You know, I put this on Twitter. I don't I give a flying. You I know asked. what about uh, <laughs> uniform? I don't. I'm sorry. I don't. I. You know, it's not just the Eagles either. I just don't care. Like. I assume if you're the fan of a team, and I'm pretty above board. I mean, some people don't get it in, in the modern world, but I, I don't, you know, root for the Eagles. I cover the Eagles. It's not about dislike like anything else. But my assumption is if you root for a team, you're going to root for them no matter what they're wearing. I, 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 I that That would be my guess. So I don't know the – but I've never been a Jersey guy. I've never bought – a bunch of jerseys. I don't, I don't get into it. So that's just a personal thing. I, I don't, I can't muster up. And I thank Ed Kratz and I want to give Ed Kratz a shout out. Cause I, you know, he volunteered to take care of the, the uniform writing because I'd rather write about anything else. I just, I find it really hard to care. I'm sorry. And it's right. an apology. Uh, I knew you were going there cause I did see your tweet. And I had Ruben Frank on my show on WIP last night, and he said basically the same thing. Uh, maybe I'm more of a fan than you are. Um, I was trying to come up with an analogy, and I uh, came up with this, and uh, I, I think it fits, but it fits for me. doesn't mean it's going to fit for you or anybody else. When you go to a show, when I say a show, I mean a concert uh, these days, and there's a tough flight act that you've been dying to see, and the contest contest, the concert tickets are uber expensive and you go in there to see that show and they have an opening act and the opening act is really good too. Certainly not as good as the main line, uh, but uh, you, you're going to go and you're going to be there and you might as well enjoy the music and have a good time with it. So you get real pumped up when they have a good opening act. You wouldn't go just to see the opening act, but you, you're going to see the main person on the stage. But it just adds to the experience when you really like the opening act and it puts on a good show. That's like the Eagles and the jerseys. Are you going to not be a fan because they don't wear Kelly Green? For those uh, people, poor people who dropped off 20 plus years ago, I feel <laughs> sorry for them because it's been a long time since they wore the Kelly Green. But it's a nice little added element to it. If you really like the uniform that your team is wearing, and maybe it's the Irish in me, and I would say shame on you, McMullen. There's a lot of Irish in you, too that you can't get behind Kelly Green. That's just wrong. 
Well, it's not about I can't get behind it. It's about it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me one way or the that, other. That to me would now, be the I'm equivalent not, of can't get behind. It does, I'm I not, don't care. I'm not. I'm not. You know, if you care, I'm not saying don't care. I'm not one of. The, I'm not saying you have to think like me. You have to not care. I mean, knock yourself out if it affects you that much. I'm not telling people not to to care about it. I'm just saying I don't get it. But personally, I don't get it. And I would say, you know, a team I am a fan of, which I'm very honest because I don't cover them. I've never really covered the sport, basically. So I haven't become disenfranchised to the point where I can't root for a team is the New York Yankees, who probably have the most iconic uniform maybe in sports history because of their history. Um, now, if they change tomorrow into this garish modern thing, I'd probably be a little peeved off, but I wouldn't care. I'd still root for the team. I mean, I'm not going out, but I'm not going out and buying jerseys and buying hats. And, and by the way, from the NFL's perspective, I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised that such a money grubbing entity has taken such a hard line on this nonsense for how long. Like if you turn on Saturday, Oregon, they got a different stinking uniform on every two weeks. Yes. Uh, yeah. Green helmet, black helmet, uh, uh, Jer Kelly green, whatever, black jerseys, players like the black jersey. I'm surprised they're not trying to pick your pocket for all of it. So if you want your pocket picked for all of it, Godspeed. I don't, but my, my larger point, and I assume Ruben's, I don't, I, I don't care. It's not to me. And we do the show every day. Like it's much more important. Like there were conflicting reports. I thought you're going to hit me up with Derek Barnett's contract. Cause they're reflecting the thing's So damn complicated. There's conflicting reports. Again, how he's driving me crazy with this stuff. Turns out we got it right on the show yesterday. It's essentially a one year deal. Right. For four and a half million that there's a team option. Uh, essentially, uh, to use, again, a baseball terminology. There's a team option. Uh, but it's essentially a one-year deal for $4.5 million. That could be $5.5 million if Derek plays all 17 games, which he rarely does. So um, it, it's a very cost-effective deal. But then that news gets out there. Two years, $14 million, 13, I don't know where it came. But it's out there, and people believe it. It's not the case of the contract. That to me, though, is important to the Eagles and moving forward because it's a and we bandied that back and forth like you and I are actually on the same page. If Derek Barnett's playing uh, is a, a starting player on this team, I think it's a bad decision that that's where we differ. I think the plan is he'll be a rotational end. He'll be a backup. He'll play 30 percent of the snaps or something like that. And then I think it's a good decision. But if it doesn't turn out that way, I'm going to jump into your camp and and say, like, I think that stuff is sub, you know, substance. I don't think uniforms are substance. And and maybe I'm a, a sports snob because, look, let's be honest. I mean, none of this is important in the real world, professional sports, but it's what we do. And, um, you know, it's important to us. So I'm not going to yell at you. If, if uniforms are important to you, but I'm also not going to pretend I, give, I can't. I can't pretend I care because I don't. 
Yeah, Ruben last night said, Jody, if you ask me a half an hour after any Eagle game that I color. Oh, by the way, what color were their jerseys? Uh, I'm with Ruben, man. Probably can't answer. Don't know. Don't don't, take no, no, really, doesn't really matter. People tweet me all the time during the week, Jody. They say, do you know what the Eagles are wearing this week? Because they announce it. And I'm like, every week, I'm like, are you serious? I, I don't care. I don't pay attention. I don't know. I I I don't get it. Okay. That's where I'll leave it. I don't get it. Is there a portion of the Eagle fan base that puts too much emphasis on it? Oh, of course there is. Uh, but you can say that about almost anything. But just generally speaking, if there's a pretty big portion that would like to see the Eagles return to Kelly Green, that's why Jeff Laurie has been pretty adamant about this because I think he's got a good grasp on what his fan base thinks. Sometimes he reacts to it. Sometimes he doesn't. But in this case, he did. And he has been attempting to get it put through the league, which I'm with you. Why they wouldn't just like go go nuts, do whatever you want to do. The more you the more you make, the more the merrier. Go ahead, put some money in your pocket. Yeah, I'm because it is a money grab. You're right. I, I don't uh, I I don't understand the league. I understand the Eagles. I'm glad they're back to Kelly Green. Even if it's just a specialty uniform that they're going to wear once at most twice a year. It'll be cool when they put it back on. All right, didn't want to get that out of the way. We've got more important fish to fry, including Jeff Lloyd, the guy who made Kelly Green happen, who spoke yesterday. Uh, here's my first question of day of consequence, because how excited you are for Kelly Green wasn't really of consequence. Um, what year does Julian Laurie take over the Eagles? Um, I don't think it's coming that quickly. And again, everything depends on jeffrey's health and hopefully he remains healthy for a long time uh but he is you know 70 years old um but from what he said yesterday there's no you know plan in place other than he's getting julian ready uh by trying to show him every part of the organization try to get his you know some experience every feet you know his feet wet trying to learn from the things he did wrong. He mentioned, which by the way, aren't a lot evidently over the past few years, but he did admit to some uh, mistakes as a young owner, which is understandable. That's a position you got to grow in. Um, And hopefully he can avoid some of those mistakes, but you know, the part of he doesn't know if Julian uh, wants to take over the Eagles, I think is a little bit, uh, disingenuous yeah disingenuous thank you um he's taken over the eagles julian and uh there's nothing wrong with i mean that's the way these things work uh the problem is and you've seen it in other sports and the nfl you know just because you're related to somebody doesn't mean you're going to run the organization in the same way uh when you do get your opportunity to run the organization so Julian Laurie, whenever he takes over, will, you know, be judged on what he does with the organization. And, you know, I will say, and I took a lot of shots at Jeffrey yesterday because it's easy. And ben, money of, many of them were just jokes, you know, about well, his. You, you go, you're going Chris Rock on uh, Jeff Laurie? Is that what you're doing? No, well, I just think it's funny that he comes up with, you know, the only you know, the three picks he was invested in happened to be Lane Johnson, Jordan Mylott, and Russell Wilson. I mean, come on, dude. Come on. 
Um, that stuff's and, easy. And he begged off J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. They yeah. asked him, and, you know, if you guys both have him as top-quality players, I'm going to leave it yeah, up to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, you know, he's Mr. Oh, I'm going to I'm gonna let you. So I made jokes about, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm stepping back from all decision-making in my house because I fully trust my wife. I'm going to take credit for the dog <laughs> and give her everything else. You know, it's easy to make jokes when Jeffrey says stuff like this. But I will also admit he's one of the best owners in the NFL, and I've said that pretty consistently. So I feel I can make an, a, a joke here and there. But he's like everybody else. He's got his quirks and he spins things in a certain way. I love the Deshaun Watson conversation because this team can't say no. They can't just say no. And there's a reason they can't say no, because it's true. And, you know, probably the the part of the press conference that um, – got reporters most upset not upset that's probably the wrong term but you know they said when he kind of made made fun of reporting kind of put it in air quotes and yet he confirmed reporting about jj ortega white he confirmed essentially reporting about mike Rowe and 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 press taylor and carson walsh it's all right the Deshaun Watson, it's all right. You can't say no. You know why you can't say no? You weren't interested? Because you were interested. And if you do say no, people will come out and prove that you're full of you-know-what. So he's got to skate that fence. Um, so there's little things, but there's, you know, that happens in every ownership. And you saw it all around the NFL at the spring meetings, as you always do, because most owners talk at the spring meetings. and most contextually, most organizations are a bigger bleep show than this one is. Let's put it that way. I thought it was intriguing in that if you listen to it from start to finish, his 30 plus minutes of uh, talking to the media and you listen to Jeff over the uh, length of his uh, ownership, he was kind of uh, emphatic about one thing yesterday. And that was that he should be, he is, well, shoot, it's his team. He can be anything the hell he wants. He gets to write the rules for the organization. We'll just sit here and go, I don't know if he should be doing that. Um, it seemed to me like one of the main things that an owner in his mind is responsible for is evaluating assistant coaches. Yeah, well, he, he did. He did. And I said, I texted a bunch of people right after and I, because Jeffrey does not generally throw people under the bus. You saw it with Carson Wentz. He's not throwing Carson Wentz under the bus. He kind of threw Mike Rowe and Press Taylor under the bus. And I, you know, I said, am I taking this the right way? I texted because, you know, I said, that's how I took it. And a bunch of other people took it the same way. I was a little surprised by that because that's generally not the way Jeffrey does business. He's going to stay above the fray uh, for whatever reason. And, you know, I'm trying to think of how much I can say, Jody. You know, Carson didn't have a great relationship with Mike Rowe. And I think it's a little bit ironic because he mentioned he put that uh, – little note 
in there that, you know, you got to be good with the quarterbacks first and foremost. So there's this assumption that Mike wasn't good with the quarterback and press wasn't good with the quarterback for a different reason because he was too close to him. Yeah, but um, now we know Frank Reich isn't good with quarterbacks either because Carson yeah. had the year that he just had. So who is – do you think maybe it's the quarterback or do you think maybe it's Carson Wentz that's the issue? Well, probably. Yeah, not probably. That's – you know, look, John DiPolippo didn't get along with Car- – Car- Carson did not like Flip. Uh, Flip is a hard ass and he was on him and that's one of the reasons in my estimation – uh, that Carson was his best under John DiPolippo. That's what he needed, but he didn't like it. And, you know, it, but it's all how you see it. Like if you're in charge, Jody, you know, it's, you got the decision. So it's sort of like your filter, what you see. Um, and if you take it as, well, John's doing a good job with Carson and Mike isn't and, and press isn't. Um, then you make the decision you make. I think hindsight says what you just said. Uh, it was probably more the quarterback than the, the coaches. Uh, other than Zach Gertz, who did the quarterback really get along with? Who, who did the quarterback? Well, he like? got along. Now, it, but I don't want to say that either because Carson got along with a lot of people, a lot of people. He got along with me. Well, in our, you know, limited relationship. Um, Fletcher Cox loves Carson Wentz. Loves him. Yeah. There, there's a lot of guys in that locker room that like Carson Wentz. But Fletcher, very... Fletcher wasn't one of the guys who uh, built the statue to Nick Foles in the locker room after. Well, Chris Long will talk about this all the time. I got to try to get Chris on the show. I have to be. You know, he's got his own podcast, but, you know, that was a joke. I mean, he went down to the AMPM at the end of the street and got a bunch of gas station candles and everybody made a big deal out of it. Chris Long loves Carson Wentz, loves Nick Bowles as well. You can love them both. Um, and, and they were just making a joke and everybody blew that out of, out of proportion, to say the least. Um, but there's a lot, it, and it was mainly veteran guys. You know, especially the guys who went through the Super Bowl run. They all like Carson. Then there was this shift and really bottom of the roster, younger guys. And I'm not saying everybody because him and Darren got into it. Darren Sproles, and he's an older guy. Um, And that's now reported, so we can talk about that. Um, So it's not everybody. But when people do say, well, Carson got along with nobody, that's not the case. He, But he's very introverted. So people take it the wrong way. It's a position of, of leadership. So where Jalen Hurts is really good at, like when when there's 90 people on the roster and they start off-season work, Jody, he's going to go in, introduce himself to everybody, to the 90th guy on the roster. And like he's the big deal. He's the quarterback. He's the face of the franchise. So that makes those guys feel good. And – now, all of a sudden, they're like, when people say they gravitate towards Jalen Hurts, that's part of the reason. He tries to to make sure he reaches out to everybody. Carson would just do his job and just sit in the corner and not try to engage everybody. And the guys he was involved with tend to really like him. But the guys are like, who's this guy? Why won't he talk to me? Um, emotional intelligence, is, as Jeffrey Lurie calls it. 
Um, Chip Kelly didn't have it. Doug Peterson did have it for a short portion of time. Um, some people are extroverts. Some people are introverts. Carson's an introvert. Well, uh, it seemed to have cost Doug Peterson his job, which I don't necessarily think should have been the case. So maybe that's why I'm a little bit more vexed about it than other things. And yeah, you pl- if you can quickly explain it to me. And I'm trying to quote unquote this as best I can. I don't have it in front of me. But in one sentence, he said, I would never tell a coach to hire, comma, but I can evaluate and coach on our staff. Whoa, 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 whoa. If you would never tell the coach who to hire, but you're going to evaluate who he hired after he hires him. So that mean the coach can hire anybody he wants, which, oh, by the way, that's not true because he absolutely didn't allow Doug Peterson to do what he wanted to do. Uh, You're not allowed to, at some point, you're allowed to fire somebody. But when you first get hired, it's completely on the coach. He can pick anybody he wants. And then afterwards, I'll decide who's hired and who's fired. Well, I will say, I, I do think Jeffrey has the right to evaluate coaches. It's his team. We just he's talked the right about to that. Do anything. Right. If we start with, no, he's well, the that's owner, why he can but, do absolutely but, anything he wants. Do you the have question the, is, do you think he should be that involved? Yeah, in, I've, in, I've, I've talked about it a lot. I don't think he has the expertise, especially with position coaches. Uh, now, coordinators, head coach, a little bit different because they're different positions. There's some management involved as well. Um, but as far as position coaches, so Carson Walsh is the guy. Carson Walsh is the guy I tend to harp on because what the hell does Jeffrey Lurie know about the intricacies of the wide receiver position to, to, to scapegoat this guy? Now, that's just my opinion. Um, as far as you know, having the ability to evaluate, the Eagles and who to hire and not to hire, the Eagles will tell you, well, they'll get, you know, it's Howie's responsibility to get a pool of candidates together. And then, you know, Nick or Doug will get to choose and, and approve the candidate. So in the case of quarterbacks, coach, for instance, this time around, like Dick, Nick didn't have a guy that he wanted to be quarterbacks coach. So Howie went out and found Brian Johnson said, you, you should probably take a look at this guy. And then it was Nick's responsibility to interview him and and hire him. That's that's what the Eagles say. Are we that's sure how Jeffrey it wasn't involved with that? Well, I I don't know. Sounds he, to he, me like Jeffrey is more concerned with the makeup of the coaching staff than maybe anything else in the organization. I don't I don't think he would have the expertise to know where to go to find somebody. Um so I do think well, how who gave him the expertise to tell him that Grow well, wasn't good enough. The his, his, wasn't good enough. His his ego. I mean he is a billionaire. I, I mean, yeah, he doesn't have the expertise to judge that, but he thinks he does. I mean, that's pretty much the explanation. Yeah, but see, what you just said doesn't make any sense to me. You just said, well, Jeffrey knows he doesn't have enough expertise. to." No, I didn't like say that, knows. I, I said he doesn't. I said he doesn't. Obviously, he doesn't know. He doesn't have the expertise. He thinks he should be in the position to judge, uh, you know, he can judge assistant coaches. Then I'll I don't ask my question again. Why? Why? No, all right, never mind. Ego. What? I mean, he owns the team. He said this is a position that I should uh, be able to evaluate and tell them what to do. He's not the only owner that does that, by the way. Um, 
And again, that's where we get into owners can do whatever they want, but I don't think it's that big of a surprise. If you ask me personally, and I said, especially with position coaches, no, I don't think he has the expertise to judge what they're doing well and what they're doing poorly, with the possible exception if he sees somebody berating somebody or he sees somebody arguing or fighting or, you know, something obvious. But if it comes down to, well, this guy's not a good route runner, so I'm going to blame Carson Walsh. I, I'd be like, you know, come on, dude. What, 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 are you, what, are you, what are you talking about? He is That's John, what I'm saying. He is John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald, the Mac and Mac Bird 365 guys. All right, we'll continue this conversation about Jeff Lurie because he is the most important person in the Eagles organization. Howie Roseman's the general manager. Nick Sirianni's the coach. Jalen Hurts is the quarterback. Don't kid yourself. The guy up top is Jeff Lurie. So what he had to say yesterday, pretty darn important. There are other Eagle issues we got to get into, and we'll get into them with our first guest next. You read him on CBSSports.com. You catch him often here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Jeff Kerr joins us on Birds 365. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank.
A midweek edition of Birds 365. Been a busy week because of the owners' meetings down in uh, Florida. I'm very interested in the insight of our next guest. He's one of our favorites. Does a great job whenever he fills in for John as my co-host. Jeff Kerr hops aboard here on Birds 365. Kerr, they're keeping you busy this week, huh? Keeping me busy this week. Was busy last week. The only way I can get a vacation is if I take one. This NFL offseason has been absolutely insane. Well, you look good in front of the Ocean Casino and Resort. So enjoy uh, the weather in front of Ocean, which is going to be better tomorrow, by the way. Yeah, uh, much better. Um, better than what the... What is finally. There? No All snow? Right. Is that what you're saying, Jack? Yeah. Come on, no snow tomorrow? Well, I don't give it, clean off my car? Give it 24 hours. It'll probably be back. Um, all right. I'm going to start this way with you, Jeff. In my 25 years of covering this league, I was uh, invested in three draft picks, Tom Brady, Aaron Donald, Randy Moss, um, anybody else I didn't care about. Are you buying that? <laughs> Are you buying that? Yeah. Everybody else is, is somebody else's fault. Uh, is, that, is that something you can sell? Because that's what Jeffrey Lurie did yesterday. That was the most laugh out loud moment to me when he talked about being invested in draft picks and he brought up Jordan Mailata, Lane Johnson, and to throw, you know, okay, one bad one, because we didn't get him, Russell Wilson. We'll throw that in to make it a little bit more believable. Uh, how believable on a scale of one to 100 was that to you, Jeff Kerr? A three. <laughs> if he's more invested in the draft picks, maybe the Eagles wouldn't botch it. Yeah. Why don't you get real invested in every draft pick? Because this team would have about seven rings by this point over that uh, 20. If, if that's your hit rate, you better get involved, Jeff. Yeah, that. This uh, is way before I even became, you know, what I was going to do for a living. The only draft pick I was really invested in, I, I'll say two, McNabb and Brian Westbrook, because I never understood the booing of McNabb on draft day. Again, that's another rabbit hole I don't want to enter, but – Brian Westbrook was a local kid, Villanova. So I'm like, all right, cool. The Eagles got him. You know, I hope he's a good player. And they ended up being my two favorite players growing up. So, but besides that, it's Jeffrey Dory could just pick any player if he wanted to. Yeah. I was, if he would have said I was invested in Carson Wentz, I would have been a lot more sold on that. But no, he just happened to pick Jordan Malata of all people. And oh, by the way, who's going to call him on the carpet? He's the owner. Nobody's going to stand up and say if they want to continue to work for him or potentially work for him down the road. Hey, Jeff, that's not just that's just not the way it happened. Nobody, nobody's going to do that. So he can he can spin whatever yarn he wants to, like he did attempt to yesterday. All right, Jeff Kerr, uh, you need to jump into the middle of this because McMullen and I've been going back and forth on it for a couple of weeks. Derek Barr's uh, Derek Barnett's team friendly. 4.5 million maybe goes up to 5.5, but uh, that's the odds are against it because he'd have to play all 17 games. Um, one year contract for the Eagles. Good deal, bad deal. Kind of like the way John McMullen feels about Kelly Green. Who cares? <laughs> I was going to mention that to you earlier about the Kelly Green stuff, John, but overall, you know, I don't hate it. I, don't hate a one-year deal for a guy who's going to be at best their number three defensive end. I mean, because you already got Josh Sweat, you got Hassan Reddick in there. You know, they're already lining up on the edge. Brandon Graham's coming back. We all seem to forget that because he 
was injured at week two last year. Who knows how healthy Brandon Graham's going to be or if he'll be 100% recovered from that injury or will ever be the same player, but he's still going to be ahead of Barnett. I figure they're going to add somebody in the draft with one of those high picks. So if Derek Barnett's going to be a situational pass rusher for them, I don't hate it at all. It's You need depth at that position. Last year they didn't have it, and Derek Barnett wasn't what we thought he was going to be last year. But overall, I just don't hate the deal. It's Edge rushers get paid a premium amount. You guys know that. And that's why $4.5 million, to, to me, that's chump change. It is for that position. And I think it comes down to what is Derek Barnett's role. You know, Jody has brought up, look, if they don't take an edge rusher, it, it and, and one's got to be there because remember, David Ojabo's injury kind of affects things as far as that 15 spot. So there's at least an outside chance that those top five guys won't even make it. The fifth guy won't even make it to 15. But let's say if they have a choice between Jermaine Johnson and George Karloptis for the sake of, of argument, and they pass on those players because they have Derek Barnett, that would be a concern to me. Jody brought that up. I, I think that would be a legitimate concern. Does this change their thinking at all uh, in the draft? It shouldn't. Um, and for the reasons you just pointed out, it's – no, I'm not married to Derek Barnett. I know they brought him back, but I think they brought him back at more of their rate than Derek Barnett's rate. If you're looking at all the edge rusher contracts around the league, Derek Barnett's just a part-time player. And so – if there's one of those guys, especially Tremaine Johnson, I, I'd be running to, to the phone to, to say, hey, we're going to take him. That's the that's the guy. But overall, edge rushers, to me, it's they're such a premium in this league, and you have to develop them. And I think that's why Derek Barnett is still here, because it, it gives somebody extra time to develop. Like I, I always thought maybe Derek Barnett would figure it out by year four or year five, like Brandon Graham did, and it, it never happened. And that's what's frustrating to me about this whole thing. It's I, I, I don't feel like, oh, we feel the need. And I know Howie Roseman doesn't like to draft based on need, but you still have a need for edge rusher. You still have a need for linebacker. You still have a need for cornerback. You still have a need for safety. You have a need for wide receiver. It's If they don't draft an edge rusher with one of those three picks, I'll be a little disappointed, but I get it based on the scope of the team right now. You'll be disappointed. I'll be ticked off. They need a young, good edge rusher. They do. If if they don't, then shame on them. Yeah, and if all five of them are off the board, okay, fine. You don't want to. You don't want to reach for an edge rusher. I, I'll certainly sign on to that. But if either Karloftis or Johnson are available, and they pass to take a corner, they pass to take a wide receiver, and Dirk Barnett's playing forty-five percent of the snaps again next year, I got a problem with it. I thought it was funny you you use the phrase married. I actually thought Nick Sirianni came close to proposing to Derek Barnett yesterday. <laughs> I love, I love Derek Barnett. Uh, a lot of people do. They're not lying about that. I tell you all the time, Jim Swartz loved Derek Barnett. Loved Derek Barnett. Nick likes him. John, let me tell you who doesn't love Derek Barnett. The rest of the National Football League. He had to take a one-year make point. good. 
$4.5 million deal with the Eagles because he felt the comfort zone. The only reason he's back. The other 31 teams in the league don't love him. Why did the Eagles love him? Why did Jim Schwartz love him? Why does John McMullen love him? Why does Jeff Kerr love him? I don't love this guy. He's not that good a player. I, I, I would say I do not love him in the way Jim Schwartz loves him. I think that is incorrect. I think he's a good potential rotational player, as Jeff described it as well. Potential. Now, here's the problem, and I'll throw this to both you guys. There's a number of things, and and Jody kind of brought it up at the beginning of the show, you know, poking me, you know, get, you know, I'm, get me in trouble with the fan base because I don't give a flying you-know-what about Kelly Green, uh, which is honest. I'm being honest. Now, Jeffrey Lurie and Nick Sirianni and – um, Jonathan Gannon, who's not involved because he hasn't been speaking, but they know this fan base doesn't like Derek Barnett, and they kind of go over the top, as as Jody pointed out, with the abusive love. Um, Jeffrey sort of dismissed, you know, the question of, you know, extending Howie Roseman by saying, oh, it was such an easy decision. Fan base doesn't like Howie Roseman, large portions of it. Does this affect this team at some point that they're so dismissive of the fans when in situations that they become passionate about? Well, you bring it up the Kelly Green stuff. We listened to you. We heard you. Well, don't tell fans that because if you go on social media and type in Howie Roseman, you're most likely getting Howie Roseman is the worst GM in the NFL. And like the other week, I posted 14 GMs. I'm like, okay, these are 14 GMs you might. Can you might be able to argue they're better than Howie Roseman, but keep in mind when you do this experiment, he's probably in the middle of the pack. So you're doing 14, that's seven or eight. Uh, yeah, I can't get to 14. You know how I got in trouble. I said <laughs> he might be top five. There's no way I can get to 14. Yeah, there's and no I, way. And I remember, um, I, I had a couple people say, Oh, you say Jerry Jones is better. I'm like, I didn't say he was better, I just said these are guys you can argue that are better than Howie Roseman. I'm not. I'm not going to agree or disagree with you, but overall, it's this is how I always looked at the Howie Roseman extension. If the Eagles, why would you have Howie Roseman, the lame duck GM, making your three first round picks? Why would you want to do that to yourself? That's how you suck as a franchise. You let Howie Roseman play this year on a lame duck contract. So, in a way, you had to sign him. And by the way, before you jump in, Jody because I want to hear your thoughts on this as well. I think Jeffrey's right on this one. I think it is an easy decision. But should he couch it better? Because he understands that not everyone agrees with him that it is an easy decision. I think it was the right thing to bring Harry Roseman back. I think you needed to. I will be honest again, and I know we could go off on a tangent for 20 minutes, but I do continue to dislike the reporting of he signed the three-year contract extension but his contract matches up with uh, Nick Sirianni. Those two things don't equate. If he signed a three-year contract extension, that means he has four years to go on his contract. Nick Sirianni only has three. So which one is it? I believe that it's he matches up with Sirianni, but that's uh, neither heck or high water here. Um, yeah, they had to do it. Howie's done a good job. John, you might have him a little higher than me at number five. Uh, Jeff, uh, you got him. There may be 14 that are better. He's somewhere in the middle of that. 
He's a six, seventh, eighth general manager. He's done a, a good that's job. We know what how his strengths are. We know what his weaknesses are. Yeah, and it, it, you know, one of the things that Jeffrey said. It's not the first time he said it. You know, and I've said it, and he's right. And you know, people judge you on first round picks. That's it. And this is just massive. That's why Derek Barnett is coming back to play for the Eagles again. And 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 then this is a massive job, which he tries to explain. There's so many tentacles to this particular job that delve into not only personnel but management structure. And we we were just talking about Jeff coaching staff, and we'll get into that. You know, it's Howie's responsibility. You know, Nick had a group of guys he knew he wanted. Uh, Nick Sirianni. You know, Howie focused in on Jonathan Gannett. Howie focused in on Brian Johnson. And then he brings candidates where there's not a a concrete selection by Nick Sirianni and says, all right, interview these guys and see um, if if you want them. And then the coach makes the decision. At least that's how the Eagles frame it. And I think that's the way it goes down. Then afterwards, I think Jeffrey Lurie, gets into it a little bit too much. Um, But is it just hard to explain to people and make them understand how big the job of an NFL general manager is? Or is it just, you know, first round pick good, first round pick bad? I I think it's hard to explain to people. Like, it's more than just first round picks. It's second round picks. It's it's cap management. Everybody goes, oh, it's easy to manipulate the cap. I'm like, well, one of the first guys to manipulate <laughs> the cap was Howie Roseman. So he was one of the, the first dummy voidier guys. And, you know, he, he was able between, to. Jeff, between the Fletcher Cox contract and the Derek Barnett contract, I got to sit for hours to figure out what the hell's going on with these things. These are complicated pieces of work that don't happen in other cities and they always come down to the Eagles advantage. Always. It's, it's scary. And I get it. Like it's very upsetting how the first wave of free agency went for them. They, they did make a run at Marcus Williams. They they couldn't get him. And I don't blame Marcus Williams for going to Baltimore. You get to play Warren Humphrey. You get to play for more, for, with Marcus Peters in the same second there. Mike McDonald's your defensive coordinator. Everything I hear about Mike McDonald is John Fagannon-esque. So why not go play with those guys? Why not play in a passionate city like, like Baltimore, who's willing to rebuild that defense, and who knows that they were basically 21 guys on injured reserve, and they still were leading the AFC at one point last year. So I, I don't blame for that. It's a, it's a better fit for them. And maybe the Eagles didn't match – the all for the Ravens were, I don't know, maybe the Ravens just went a little up. And I get not not getting a number two wide receiver, a veteran, was frustrating. But do you really want to pay some of these guys like $13, $14 million? And it, it, it's tough. It, it really is. I know a lot of people took the Juju Smith-Schuster comments out of proportion. But really, it's, I got a chance to catch passes for Patrick Mahomes. That's not a knock on Jalen Hurts. Right. So, overall, it's, yeah, I, I, I get it. Like, I, I don't think the timing of the extension was great. It's, oh, we're not doing anything in free agency. Oh, but we'll make sure Hallie Roseman signs a three-year extension. Maybe they should have waited until after the draft to do that. 
Jeff, let me ask you about Nick Sirianni talking about the offense yesterday. He said that uh, we have to improve in certain areas of the passing game. Um, but he was a guy who, when things went south, turned to the running game this year. Um, he said, we got to get more weapons around Jalen Hurts, but yet uh, Zach Pascal is the big addition. Again, I don't necessarily agree with the coach's evaluation of players. I think he overstates what Zach Pascal is. Um, will they get something done between now and the draft as far as adding another weapon? Doubt very highly it's going to be a running back. A tight end, too, doesn't do anything for me. So it comes down to one thing, wide receiver. Are they going to get something done? You mentioned that the price of poker has gone up with wide receivers. Jarvis Landry's asking for $20 million. Come on, Jarvis. You can't really be serious <laughs> to put that number out there. But he's going to be over $10 million for sure. Will the Eagles be able to land someone like that? I doubt it. Uh, you know, you you mentioned the perfect one, Jar- Jarvis Landry. That price is astronomical. There's no reason they should go after it. Will Fuller, he's intrigued me a bit, but I could see him going to Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, just trying to connect some dots here. Devontae Parker would be nice, but again, there's going to be a lot of teams interested in him too. What are you going to have to give up to get them? I think the best route for them is honestly via trade if they can find a way to get one of those – wide receivers. Um, I know a lot of people talk about DK Metcalf. I would give up a first-round pick for a guy like that, but that's just me. I don't know if a lot of teams are going to do that. Maybe the Patriots will get desperate. There's so many teams in need of a wide receiver, so maybe the best route is via the draft, but if they can get a quality player via trade, I'm all for it, but again, I don't want to dismiss anything because I've seen teams make trades in April when the Eagles have been one of them. Well, we've talked about they have been one of them. They are apt to trade, and I think you're right. I think the goal was obviously get a veteran at the wide receiver position, and I think that's the right way to go. I think that would be the preferable way to go instead of adding another rookie to a very young receiving room. But when we talk about offense positions as a whole, the position is quarterback. Now, I want to go back to Jeffrey Lurie because, again, there are people who, you know, and understandably so, um, Jeffrey gave this sort of quote and and talked about Jalen being a 23-year-old playoff quarterback who gets better every year, whether it's in college or the pros. All of that is true. Um imagine no one knows where he's going to end up, what his ceiling is, but incredibly dedicated, excellent leader of men. He called him players gravitate towards him. You've heard all these things on birds, 365, a hundred times. And Jeffrey said, that's why we're committed to Jalen at 23 period. And a lot of people put the period there. The next comment was, and he ended it. Who knows what the future holds, right? A lot of people left that part off. Jeffrey's savvy. He knows how to leave a, a little bit of a blight in the door, a little bit of a crack. It's, Was it's, that on purpose? I think so. I think it's more of we're married to Jalen Hurts for this year. We're not married to Jalen Hurts. We're not giving Jalen Hurts a, a guaranteed money contract here. We're, right. We like Jalen Hurts for 2022 because – Russell Wilson didn't want to come here. And Deshaun Watson, who I am one any part of, 
<laughs> is not here. So we couldn't get that franchise quarterback this offseason, but maybe next offseason we'll find that franchise quarterback in the draft. And, you know, j- just leaving open the door for whatever. If this offseason was crazy, next offseason is going to be crazy because everybody's going to try to keep up with, and I keep blaming them for it, but the Kansas City piece of Buffalo Bills because they got two guys that aren't going anywhere and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. And then next year the Eagles might be ready to strike in an NFC where we don't know if Tom Brady's going to come back after this year. I assume he is, but Aaron Rodgers getting older. He might consider retirement. And all of a sudden you got the Rams and that's it. And so maybe that's when the Eagles strike. If they can build on last year and win nine, 10 games again, and maybe a playoff game. And Well, that to follow up real quick, Jeff, how do you strike if you improve on nine wins? You're not going to be in a position to get up at the top of the draft, even right. if you love uh, Bryce Young or if it's C.J. Stroud or whomever. You're not going to be in that position. I, I I call it, and Jody knows, you know, the we're not ready crowd is what I call it. What makes people assume that when you are ready, you'll be in a position to strike for a top-tier talent? Anywhere, not just quarterback, anywhere. It's tough. I think that's the toughest decision in all sports. And I see this in the NBA all the time. You know, when I'm watching the NBA, it's the Sixers thought they were ready to strike. And I don't think they're any better now than what they were before they had James Harden. So that's how I'm looking at the situation. You're, you're right. When do you feel the time is now? I, I The Rams obviously got it right because they said, okay, we got this talented roster. We're going to give up these draft picks. You know, the whole Les Snead shirt, F them picks. <laughs> so, you know, again, it, it's like, well, we'll move on. And we'll move on for Jared Goff, a guy we invested in for multiple years. And they go and get Matthew Stafford, they win a Super Bowl. So I don't think the Eagles are even close to being there yet. Maybe a couple years of prolonged success. or you know, Right now, I think the Eagles are a mediocrity. I want to be honest with you. I, I think they're that team that they're that they're going to be a playoff team in the NFC because the NFC isn't any good. I ranked them sixth out of the 16 NFC teams for CBS this week. And I keep looking at them as I see potential, but they have so many holes on their roster. But then again, who's going to pass them this year? Are the, are, are the Vikings? I'm, I'm not sure of that. Are the Saints? I'm not sure. So it's right now. I think they are what they are right now. And that's a nine, 10 win football team that has the potential to be better. I, I guess I'm going to get into a semantical debate with you. If the Eagles are mediocre and you have them ranked sixth out of 16 teams in the NFC, what the hell does it say about seven through 16? <laughs> when I rank them, AAA, those, AAA they're, football. They're, they're bad. Like, there are some bad teams in the NFC. Like, when I ranked Washington, I ranked them 10th. And I'm like, did this team really get any better getting Carson Wentz? I'm not sure. There's so many questions with a lot of the bad teams in the NFC. The Falcons are going to be terrible. The Giants are probably going to be terrible. The Panthers don't have a quarterback, so you got to rank them ahead. The NFC South might be an absolute joke when it's all said and done. Like I, I like James Winston on the Saints, but can Dennis Allen coach? I mean, he has like eight wins in two years as a head coach. I don't think he's a good coach at all. So they lost Marcus Williams. I, there's still a lot of talent on that team, but the Seattle traded Russell Wilson, so they're going to be bad. The NFC East is bad. The NFC North is a joke. Uh, the, the Lions might be the one team that 
rises above the ashes here. That's how bad the NFC North is. They're gonna they're probably gonna be better than Chicago. The Vikings, it seems like they're good every other year. They're trying to fix their defense. It's there's so many bad teams in the NFC. So that's why I keep saying the Eagles are mediocre. Like I, I rank the Browns eleventh. And I think the Browns have a talented roster. I'm just not sure if their quarterback's gonna play the first six weeks. Well, Jeff, that kind of circles me back to my my last question is, well, if that's the landscape, and I think you're right, I think the NFC is certainly, you know, not the AFC, to be kind. Um, why aren't the Eagles seizing this moment? I mean, the, the, the three teams we all look at have significant, significant issues in that Tom Brady is 167 years old. Um, who knows? You know, and I hesitate, but we all know. Father time, blah, blah, blah. But he's also, he lost two key men on his offensive yes, line. Yes, he's also lost 40% of his offensive line, who were good I think players. Jack Mason, though, which I think yeah, is yeah. all part of Alex Kappa. Fair point. Uh, but they have some issues. You know, we don't know, you know, uh, how things are going to shake out and they've lost uh, significant talent. Um, same thing with the Packers, most notably Devonte Adams, but they've taken hits on defense with Zadarius Smith and um, they lost their nickel corner as well. Former Eagles, great Chandon Sullivan. Um, and they've lost uh, 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 a number of other players uh, and the Rams have taken hits not only as Super Bowl champions tend to be, not only from a personnel standpoint, but from a coaching standpoint, they get pilfered with up from all their assistants every year. Um, those are the three top teams, and you can poke holes in all of them. So why are we sitting here with the Eagles, a playoff team, as they will constantly tell you, and is factually correct, Um why do so many people say they're not ready in this, but maybe they're not ready in the AFC. I'm on board with that. If they were in the AFC, I'd probably go, yeah, this, this isn't going to work in the NFC. Why this hand wringing? What was me? We need that. We can't compete. Why not? Why can't you compete in this direct of a conference? Maybe they thought they were. And the guy that they wanted said, I ain't coming here. Russell Wilson. <laughs> so maybe that was the guy they, they wanted to put all the eggs, all the chips in the, at the poker table. And they just said, no, no, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not coming over there. And may, maybe that, that was just it. I think the Eagles are thinking, if we keep the same team, the same continuity, and just get deeper because we have these draft picks, maybe that's going to help us get to the next level. Like, I, I thought – them playing better in the playoff game against the Bucs would have been a huge step, but I got to look at the facts. If they have 31-0 in that playoff game and no one played well. The defense did not play well. The quarterback did not play well. The coach didn't coach well. The Bucs stopped the one strength the Eagles had, and that was the ball game. And that was one of the teams I just did not want to see the Eagles play in a playoff game was Tampa because of Tom Brady and everything else. And I, I think the Eagles' next step is – Let's try to win the division, which is very, very attainable this year. Dallas took a huge step back because they do not know how to handle free agency and save their life. Uh, they lost Layout Collins. They lost Amari Cooper. But they'll pay Ezekiel Elliott $18 million a year. <laughs> they'll pay their second-best running back $18 million a year. And Dak's contract is way too high for them. It's 
I mean, yeah, they'll probably make up for it with the draft, but overall, it's that team that swept the Eagles last year, and I look more of the Week 3 game, obviously. I don't think Dallas is 20 points better than the Eagles anymore. I don't even know if they're 5 points better than the Eagles anymore. So maybe that's what the Eagles are thinking. Maybe we just stay the course and just look at the long run here. We can build something, and we maybe can compete with now the Dallas Cowboys and the Arizona Cardinals. Well, by the way, I actually rank the Eagles higher than the Cardinals right now because the Cardinals lost a lot too. So that's how I'm looking at it. It's We might be better than that second tier of NFC team. Hey, if they're one of the tallest midgets in the circus in the <laughs> NFC, I'll take it. Um, yesterday, you got to do a lot of this over the last couple of days, reading between the lines. I'm going to ask you to do so here, Jeff Kerr. When asked, I don't even remember what the question was about, but somehow he turned it into uh, a referendum on the cornerback position on the Philadelphia Eagles right now. The coach started rattling off names. He got them all, too. Got Zach Mack and Mackman yeah. and <laughs> Faye Gowan. He got he, them all. He just kept ripping off names. Kept, uh, you, you say you couldn't pick uh, McCain out of a lineup, right, Johnny Mack? No, I, 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 I did him. see Mac when he came back for the third time. I did see him, so I do so know. You do know him. I couldn't. I couldn't do that with Kerry Vincent. I had no clue what the guy looks like whatsoever. But he did get mentioned by the Eagles to, uh, yesterday. The head coach has got his name on the tip of his tongue. Are we supposed to read into this? Jeff Kerr, first round draft pick, cornerback is sitting there. Why would we need a cornerback? We've got Zach McPherson. We're good. We've got depth on this roster. Cornerback's not an issue for this team. That scare you at all, buddy? Oh, that scares the heck out of me. <laughs> I don't. I don't trust Zach McPherson to replace Stephen Nelson as the number two cornerback right now. I, I, I'll say this: if the Eagles have a chance to get a veteran number two cornerback in here or draft one in the first round. They're going to do it. I'm not buying the smoke that Zach McPherson, Mac McCain, uh, but. What's the other guy? Uh, what's the guy? Tay Gowan. Gary Vincent. I'm not ready to to go down that yet. So, I'm a, by the way, Nick said when they asked him that question, he said, "I don't want to leave anybody out," and he got them all. That was the most impressive part of the Nick Sirianni press conference. He got them all. And Way to yeah. go. Can name your players. Zach you go McPherson. immediately to the Hall of Fame, Nick Sirianni. Mac I will McCain. have so much respect for Nick Sirianni McMullen. If you and I are at training camp this summer and he just goes up to us and say, point out my cornerbacks, I'll be like, uh, I'm like, I'm like, I'll do it by jersey number. I'm probably not going to be able to do it if they all have their jerseys on just because. Gotta <laughs> look at this. Slay. They all really have, McPherson, they all have my, oh, Vontae Max, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that. They do have a very good slot corner that people tend to forget about. Um, but you're right. I mean, people, it, when did Steve Nelson come in last year? Two days before training camp. Right. And and he was the starting corner. So when Howie says talent acquisition season um, is longer than 10 days, he's correct. Uh, and the Eagles will get a corner, whether it's the draft or the veteran round. Might even be Steve Nelson because Steve is still out there. By the way, he's not helping his... Angry on Twitter. Yes, he's angry on Twitter. Yeah. Because he's not getting the money he deserves. And this is probably the third straight year he's not getting the money he deserves. So, uh, for whatever reason, if you can't run, and I put that in quotations, they don't want to pay you as a cornerback in the NFL. Um, But I'll end it with Howie with you, Jeff. Jeff, At Jeff Carr CBS. Read him at uh, CBS. 
Um, it, it general managers have to build. And I've asked this a lot of people. Jody's probably tired of it, but I got to get everybody's input on this because I think it's interesting. You know, fans, understandably so, tend to think about things in yearly intervals. They're worried about 2022. GM's got to think about the bigger picture. Not only 2022, but 2023, certainly. 2024, they say it's three years. It's more two years now. But either way, you got to have a two-year window. Jalen Hurts is going to be eligible for an extension after this season. You see the cost of doing business at the quarterback position. Howie knows it better than anybody. So they're already thinking about that. You know, what are these landmarks going to be? What is the extension going to be? Does that change their thinking when it comes to young quarterbacks? In other words, Jalen Hurts is going to, if Jalen Hurts plays the way he played last year, he's going to get 30 plus million dollars a year. Yes. And do you start thinking about the Sam Howells of the world and start? We got to turn this over. We got to stay cost effective while we're looking for the superstar. I, I think so. I think it's if Jalen Hurts doesn't make improvements from last year, you just kind of make him a lame duck at that point in year four. And then you start looking at a better 2023 draft class or maybe even 2024 and just say, hey, you know, th- this is the business. And it seems like the teams that win now are the teams that have quarterbacks on team-friendly deals. Um, you know, We're seeing the effects of Patrick Mahomes' ex- extension in Kansas City. Tyreek Hill's gone. And they're trying to replenish with young wide receivers and draft picks. And eventually it's going to happen in Buffalo, too, with Josh Allen. His extension is going to kick in. Uh, right now the team in the best spot among those teams with quarterbacks on rookie deals is the Ravens because they haven't signed their guy yet. And, boy, that was an interesting comment. We'll sign him when he's ready to sign. I'm like, whoa. And I think Lamar Jackson saw $230 million to Deshaun Watson, who is not a model citizen. What am I going to get? Because I've yeah. got guys like Jeff Kerr just putting out stats about yeah. me left to right. So I, I guarantee you, I wasn't in Palm Beach, but uh, Jimmy Haslam got some dark looks from his peers. Yeah, but uh, they, had, they asked Jeffrey about that yesterday. He wouldn't comment. He doesn't comment on other teams, other contracts. He wouldn't uh, wouldn't get involved. They tried to suck him into a comment on not only Deshaun Watson and his off-field behavior, but also how the contracts can affect the NFL going forward. Jeffrey did the two-step around that one. Wouldn't answer that. I don't comment on other players' contracts or other teams' contracts. And he generally does that. To be fair, he doesn't talk about other players. Um, but yeah, I, it affects him. It affects every owner. That oh, yeah. contract. It, the it, only it, owner I think that made a comment on another player, and we still know who the player was. Oh, we were prepared to offer two first round picks for a quarterback. Yeah. Season. yeah. Like, Whoa. All right, Jim Irsay. Like, yeah, Jim, Jim Irsay was, uh, oof, he took, uh, he was not kind to Carson Wentz after funny. Frank Reich was very kind. And then, uh, Jim Irsay went the 180 route on poor Carson. I really want to know what Carson Wentz fully did in that building to just make that Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard absolutely hate him. 
Yeah, I think they were just evaluating, although uh, John was uh, defending Carson earlier that more guys on the team liked him than not. He's just not a likable guy. He wasn't here. He wasn't there. Uh, I the, the, Frank Reich tried to create it in his own mind that he was, and that's why they acquired him. And then after a year having him, everybody else got to chime in with an opinion, and they said, this guy's got to go. Which I is- think he's uh, – honestly, I think it's more odd. I think he's odd. I, I don't think he's unlikable. I just think he's one of those guys where he'll say something and you're like, what? what did he just say? He's but- an introvert who is uncomfortable around people. You can't be an introvert if you're going to be a quarterback in the National I Football agree. League. It's kind of one of the job requirements to be non-introverted. Jalen Hurts. I, I hate to say, you got to be Jalen Hurts. You got to get everybody to gravitate toward you in that room and I agree. It makes it very, very difficult. But right. that I, I, I'm just talking about the likable versus unlikable aspect. And a lot of people take it the wrong way. And by the way, I got to throw and people, I shouldn't go this down this route, but I will. Um, religion plays into it as well. People are very uncomfortable. Not everyone, but some people are very uncomfortable around people who wear their faith on their sleeve like Carson does. Even if all depends what religion you are, but that's yeah. how far as I'll go. <laughs> all right, do want to wrap on this note. Um, every day I, I write down how many days uh, till opening day and uh, how many shows we've done here on Birds 365. I need to find a middle number. Well, it's 29 days till the first round of the NFL draft where the Eagles have three picks which just doesn't happen in the NFL. You don't find teams with three picks in the first round. So they have a cachet to use and improve this team. Will anything happen before that Thursday night? Will the Eagles make a trade, trading up, trading back, a day before the draft, a week before the draft? Sure enough, that Carson Wentz conversation pops up again. They had to wiggle their way into position to be able to take Carson Wentz, so they did it before the actual day of the draft. Are we going to get anything, or are we going to be waiting till the Friday after the draft here on Birds 365 before we can talk about what the Eagles did with those picks? I think we'll see them maneuver draft picks before that draft starts. If they get an offer they're comfortable with, if they can get an offer they can get 2023 first, I think they'll make a move, but we got to keep this in mind. They don't have the six pick anymore. Like they did at the beginning last year before they traded down to 12, they have 15, 16 and 19. So that could be a little bit more. How can I say it? the draft points aren't as high for that? I'll say that. Oh, I hope they do something. Cause they'll give it that much more to talk about. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Jeff Kerr. Thank you much for hopping on. We'll talk to you again soon, but always a pleasure guys. Jeff Carr, CBSSports.com, and a frequent contributor here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. All right, Jody Mac, Johnny Mac coming back. We are going to get draft heavy in the conversation within the next 15 minutes. Matt Manicharian is going to hop aboard. For those of you who are loyal, uh, Mac and Mac, Birds 365 fans, we uh, had Matt on last year. The analytical number crunching aspect of the NFL draft. Matt's a former NFL scout, um, but he and his buddies have come up with a formula that they use statistics, analytics, and the like to rank and rate all the players. Um, He's got an interesting perspective on the NFL draft. We did it with him last year. Looking forward to doing with him with him again. Coming up next, Matt Manicharian on uh, Birds 365.
At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub. And in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. You've got the Mac Mac guy, John McMullen and Jody McDonald here with you on Birds 365, where we do kind of ask you to share, like, and subscribe. we got a whole bunch of people tuned in right now. Thank you very much for doing so. While you're at it, hit the like button. It'll help us out with our algorithm, whatever that means. Uh, but please do it, because they tell me I should ask you to do it. And I usually point off on McMullen to do it for me, but I will ask today, please like, share, and subscribe. Uh, Birds 365 here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. All right. Um, before we punch Matt up in less than 10 minutes now, Johnny Mac, um, yes, Jeff Laurie spoke yesterday. Yes, Nick Sirianni spoke yesterday, and we talked uh, extensively about both of those two. That Roger Goodell guy spoke yesterday as well. Did you see his State of the Union press gathering at the owners' meeting? Yeah. Um, and obviously, boy, I, you know, I talk about it all the time. I've mentioned it to you. I, I think Roger Goodell is really good at his job, but I don't think people understand his job. <laughs> And his job, his job description is lightning rod. His job description is to take the heat for those 32 guys who talk once a year, maybe. A couple of them talk twice a year. Jeffrey tends to talk twice a year. Others, Jerry Jones talks every week. So not everybody's the same. But most of the NFL owners like to stay behind the scenes because they don't want the, the criticism. They don't want the cat calls about Deshaun Watson, about, you know, players who do things that might be untoward and 
safety issues and all these kinds of things. And Roger's the one who takes the heat for that. And he is not well liked and he takes the heat in situations like this. And, uh, you know, he's got to go up there and do it and say, you know, Daniel Snyder isn't involved in day-to-day operations, you know, with the, with the Washington commanders won't use the commissioner's exemplist uh, for Deshaun Watson as of now, uh, but everything's in play, obviously, including suspension and on and on and on. There's so many controversies in this league because it's so popular. Um, and look, I, I've said, I've been writing about this for over 20 years, Jody. I don't get people who look at the NFL, of all things, as some kind of moral compass that they should be leading the charge on these types of issues. That's on you. If you think an entertainment company uh, should be leading the charge. Now, with the NFL, I think, makes some mistakes as they try to kowtow to too many critics. Um, It is what it is. We all know why Deshaun Watson got paid, you know. Talent versus tolerance. If he's the 53rd guy on the roster, you can be sure he'd be, not officially, but he'd be banned from this league for the rest of his life. But he is who he is. He's a top five quarterback in the world, so he gets the first five-year fully guaranteed contract in NFL history. I've been a Roger Goodell defender more than a detractor as well. You and I are both the same there. Uh, I think he's got one of the toughest jobs on the planet, and he knows what is the essence of his job, as you stated, to be the shield. We talk about shield all the time in the NFL. He's the shield for the 32 guys that are his bosses, the owners of the NFL teams, and I think he's generally very good at that, and that's why he makes $30 million plus a year. But um, – excuse me, one thing that he did yesterday, I I wanted to get your take on this because I I didn't know. He was asked a question about Deshaun Watson. Now, you're a guy who asks questions at media sessions and the like, and it's kind of your job to make sure your question is crystal clear. I thought it was pretty darn obvious. It wasn't perfectly stated, but whoever the reporter was asking the question was asking about what Cleveland did with the Sean Watson's contract with making it basically the veteran minimum for the first year. And if uh, Deshaun Watson is suspended, the price that he'll pay financially is as minimal as it could get. And he was asking Goodell if he was okay with that, if there was going to be any repercussions, this, the teams were bending over backwards to try and put a player in an advantageous position. So they don't get hit or hurt financially. If they have an uh, upcoming potential suspension and i understood the question and roger went i don't quite get the question you're asking i'm going come on you're making 30 million dollars a year and you couldn't pick up on the question he was asking he didn't do a perfect job of it but he did it well enough for you to understand what the point was of the question and he made the guy go through it again and repeat it and then he hedged on it no i don't know but if we want to make our feelings known we have ways of making our feelings known which i didn't quite understand so what are you going to do uh suspend the guy further down the road wait a year till when you actually can go after his money when he doesn't have it reduced because future monies who knows the browns could do it again and move money again to try and protect them it's kind of tough when you're already guaranteeing them 230 million dollars but 
Did you catch that? Did that did that seem to you as odd? Um more more odd from the questioning standpoint because I think it's too in the weeds and you know you you uh and I must be pretty smart because if I picked up on it that that fast. well in the wind in the weeds for I would say the casual fan um and you know but look contracts I've just talked about with Fletcher Cox and Derek Barnett they're difficult to explain to people never mind in 25 second clips uh, or or five minute answers even at a press conference. Um, in short, he, there's nothing he can do. Uh, what I think he was trying to say is that we we have the ability to bind people financially as well through the personal conduct policy that doesn't relate to the contract. That's what I think he was trying to get at. Um, but as far as you know, where was Andrew Barry before he went back to Cleveland? He was right here. Um, and he was watching Howie and Jake Rosenberg and the tricks of the trade when it comes to these con- The contract is what the contract is. Um, and from that standpoint, there's nothing the NFL can do. What I think Roger was saying is we have uh, the ability uh, through the personal conduct policy um, to add additional uh, financial penalties Um on top of what would be a suspension uh, in taking away pay. And by the way, all contracts, all contracts with highly paid players now, forget about Deshaun Watson, the vast majority have those voidable years now at the end so they can spread things out as, as long as humanly possible, as we've seen, which the Eagles were at the forefront of, and they have low base salaries. So if you're going to base things on the salaries, anytime somebody gets suspended, it's probably not going to look good uh, as far as, you know, the vast majority of their money is tied up in signing bonuses, roster bonuses, things like that. So that's what I mean. It's getting the weeds. It, you know, he, and I don't know who asked the question, so I don't want to pick on anybody, but they should know that. And that's not, that's not all that relevant. You didn't think my... it was. You didn't think it was a legit question. No, no, because they they you, you should know that the contract is what the contract is, and you know you you can't penalize a team for you know using what's in the CBA to to structure a contract. So. You know, what do you want him to do, I guess, would be, you know, that's not that's not relevant to his position unless you want to rewind. You do the Superman thing and reverse the rotation of the earth and redo the CBA. So you can't do these tricks. I mean, every team uses them. Uh, They just happen to use them for maybe what some people could consider untoward because they considered Deshaun Watson signing untoward. Um, but I, I, I guess my overriding explanation is they should know the contract is the contract and there's nothing. In, in other words, Deshaun Watson doesn't change the way NFL teams do contracts. Deshaun Watson changed the guaranteed money and he changed the landscape and he changed all that, which is a black mark, probably a black eye for the league. But 
that other stuff is kind of irrelevant to me. All right, so let me no see dipper. if I got this straight. Um, and again, I, I'm pleading ignorant because I didn't quite follow. I thought Goodell first tried to act ignorant, which I thought was foolish because I think he understood exactly what the question meant. Uh, but now we're talking about where does it go when the actual answer to the question what the NFL will do. If they deem that Deshaun Watson needs to be suspended because of the way that this ongoing investigation works itself out, usually the remedy is that you have to pay for however many games you're going to be suspended. In year number one, it's going to be significantly less because they did the number crunching to keep Deshaun Watson somewhat protected. Are you saying Roger Goodell is just going to hit him with a flat-out fine and make it a significant fine in their estimation when the way they usually handled it has just been, well, you lose the amount of salary for the games that you're suspended. You think Adele's just going to go above no, and beyond I, and go, I, I, I'm the Wizard of Oz and I'm waving my magic wand. It's going to cost you $10 million to Sean Watson. No, I have no no idea what he's going to do. I'm, I'm trying to say he's trying to get out of the back door by saying there are other remedies yeah, which well, they what can would those other remedies be? Would you like to speculate for me, John McMullen? Well, the financial aspect, I forget what the top is, but they, they have a top-tier fine they can they can level against basically anybody um, on top of uh, what uh, the contract suspension would be. But my, my larger point, Jody, is all contracts of highly paid players are structured this way. They're structured with that low cap hit. Uh, and, and, and to kick things down the road, they give them guaranteed money through signing bonus and roster bonus. My larger point is Deshaun Watson is no different from that aspect than any other highly paid player. So my, my, my larger point is he's no different. It would be the same for any other highly paid player if they're getting suspended. That's my larger point. Fair enough. All right. Uh, John McMullen, Jordan McDonald here with you on Bird 365. We're going to take a quick timeout. And then Matt Manicharian's joining us to talk NFL draft. So stay right here. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. 
that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Got John McDonald Mullen and Jody McDonald here with you on Birds 365. And we got our next guest. He is a former NFL scout for the Saints and the Browns. He is the editor of the SIS Football Rookie Handbook. And oh, by the way, I have my hand. It sits right here next to me when I do every show of Birds 365. It's on my desk. It's a hell of a paperweight. And I'm not going to be able to replace it. I'm going to have to continue to use it as a paperweight. Because they were going all digital. Uh, he'll give us all the details on that. Matt Manicharian, draft expert, is going to jump aboard with us here on Birds 365. How are you, Matt? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, good to see you again. It's that time of year, uh, Matt. It, I love having Matt on because Matt is kind of the crux of the new age of the NFL, I think. You know, you got your foot in the scouting part of it, as Jody said. And then the analytical part, and that's everybody what is what every team, especially with these younger GMs, are trying to marry together these days. So uh, my first question, Matt, is how much have things changed over the years when teams have sort of gone from the old school scouting approach? And I always use Moneyball and baseball and the, the famous movie as an example. They're talking about you know, this kid doesn't have confidence because his girlfriend's not attractive enough to the analytical stuff that is all the rage in, in pro sports today. Yeah, man, I've heard that stuff before. You're talking about a, a quarterback's girlfriend and some scouts really believe that that could be telling about something. Um, I would say things have changed, but things are still really in flux in terms of where, where football is. Like same way, I think that if you go and have conversation with a bunch of football fans at a bar, you get probably 100 different perspectives on things. It's a little bit like that within the organizations these days. Uh, there are teams like like the Browns, for example, that are doing things like a, like a tech business in a lot of ways. Um, they're so far advanced. Um, but even so, even when you get really advanced, at the end of the day, it's football. And it's not a sport that's, uh, you know, you try to make the best stats and the team with the best stats wins. You have to you have to beat the other team up and, and there's human beings that play at the end of the day. So I think what everybody's really trying to get to, well, not everybody, but where the forward thinking people are trying to get to is a place where it's not scouting versus analytics. It's these are tools that work hand in hand with one another. We understand how this quote unquote analytic relates to the actual field and tells me something about this player, hopefully, or about the strategy in this, in this situation. Um, but there's still some real old school pushback. It's just very uncomfortable for some people. And there's still some new school people that just don't um, give enough credit to the years and years of expertise that's been built up by the quote unquote old school people. 
Matt, uh, I'm going to ask you the question I ask every time I get a draft guy on, and we've had a couple uh, leading up to the draft. They see a bunch of them on uh, TV, NFL Network, whatever, uh, and it always just bothers me a little bit. I understand the point, but it bothers me. The phrase, true first-round grade. For me, there are 32 first-round picks, which means there are 32 players that are going to go in the first round, which means there are 32 first-round draft picks. But not if you listen to scouts and uh, mock draft guys. I I can't put a true first-round grade on that player. And it seems like every year it comes up at less than 32. As of right now, how many true first-round grades do you have on this year's class? Well, I got bad news, good news. We don't care about any of that grade stuff based okay. on rounds. So, like the concept, exactly for the reasons that you're saying, the concept of drafting by round is ridiculous. Like, because first of all, it implies that me and you both have the same idea in our head for what a first round player is. Then it assumes that we both have our the idea in our head of what a first round defensive end is, of what a first round will linebacker is, of what a first round offensive tackle is. In actuality, there's no there's no round that matters once you after the draft. After the draft, you're just on the team, and that is what it is. So to your exact point, we grade things by the role that you're going to have on our team. So in terms of players, we look at uh, the the highest level of grade, a, a 7.0 or above on our scale. You're a blue chipper. We expect you to come into the league and be competing to be on the all-pro team right away. That's obviously a first-round grade. That's usually a top-10 grade. But to your point, last year we had lots of dudes that seemed to fit that description. This year, not, not as many. They're, they're, we have three guys with that blue-chip grade this year, according to SIS, whereas last year there, there were a few more of them. So uh, that's one way to look at it. Are they a blue-chipper? Another way I like to look at it is, are they a strong starter on my team? If this person is starting on an NFL team – are they somebody that's going to win the majority of their battles? For us, that would put you in what we call the strong starter range. And usually the strong starter range somewhat corresponds with the end of the first round, but not exactly for the exact reason that you said. There's not 32 every year. So, you know, uh, I, I just try to not think about things in terms of rounds very much, right? This is the grades. This is the list. And however many picks there are, that's what rounds you're going to end up in. All right, Matt. Well, first off, I want to hear those three blue chippers, number one. And it's one of them, Kyle Hamilton, because I love the kid, even though evidently can't run. Uh, but I think he's the best player in this draft. But then in a larger perspective, um, what you were kind of talking about, and the pandemic didn't help a lot of things. But one thing I've heard from a couple scouts is it did help a little bit when it came to sort of the group think mentality, you know, when guys are together and, you know, it, it starts to almost seep in subconsciously. So how do you, how do you arm yourself from that um, uh, as a scout and somebody who's trying to analyze players? It's very difficult. One of the most difficult things that you can do in scouting period is uh, get on the same page so that when I grade a player and I say this quarterback has seven accuracy, he has very good accuracy. Everybody on my scouting department knows exactly what seven accuracy looks like. Calibrating on that level is really hard. Um, calibrating, uh, not not engaging in groupthink, that's, that's a really difficult challenge, right? Everybody, when they're grading a player, you want to have some sort of a kind of an anchor, right? Where is everybody else? What does everybody else do? The way I like to look at that is I actually like to grade players for what I think of them on my team and then what I think the league thinks of them. I think you can help separate out that groupthink a little bit. If you explicitly say, this is what I think groupthink thinks of this player, and here's where I sit relative to that. That's one technique that you can use. But at the end of the day, scouting's really hard. 
And it's really hard to be consistent, not just between me and the other scouts on my staff, between me and myself. If I go into Penn State and it's a rainy day and my car breaks down and this, that, and the other thing, or I'm dealing with a jerk coach on the staff that, that always treats me poorly when I'm there and uh, my my uh, laptop isn't working, so I'm having to use their old film machine and, and let their coach control the clicker. There are all kinds of things that can really make it a bad experience to be there. All of a sudden, I got a low grade uh, on the receiver. Whereas if I had gone in there on a nice day and the coach is talking me up about him, he spends an hour with me telling me about him, all that kind of stuff, it's really easy to get biased. So the, the large answer to your question is that's why I got interested in this whole quote-unquote analytics thing. It's not because I think yards are a better way to evaluate players than stats. It's because I believe that we need to create scouting processes that are really consistent. And so if we're looking across every player and we're making sure that we're actually gathering data on what that offensive lineman's hand use is, on what on what sort of ankle bend he has, and we're actually recording that and, and being really um, thorough in our process about how we capture it, that's what's going to end up reducing that bias the, as much as possible. When you're actually basing it on real data and not like when I was in Cleveland and Jimmy Haslam kicked us all out of the draft room, drafted Johnny Manziel, and told us that a homeless guy <laughs> told him to do it. Like, <laughs> that's all right, three blue chippers. You're yeah, not getting the three blue chippers. So these guys each have the 7.0 grade, but we had to rank them because we put them on a, on a top 100 list this year. At number three is your guy, John, Kyle Hamilton. He's one of our blue chip 7.0 players. I don't care about the time, speed, stuff like that. On the field, this guy absolutely is ridiculous. Uh, the you know the size speaks for itself. This guy's about 6'4", 220. He can obviously do all this stuff around the line of scrimmage, right? When we talk about a three-level player, yes, this guy can help in the run game. He can make plays behind the line of scrimmage. Yes, he can be that guy that's your Swiss Army knife to cover these freak tight end type athletes that are coming around. But also, he's great on the backhand. You turn the film on. This is somebody who can play deep, single high, cover one. He can be that center fielder role. Lots of range. And it's not just his, his speed with his feet, but also his length allows him to cover more ground. So Kyle Hamilton, for us, he could play anywhere as a safety. I'm not concerned about his ability to run at all. Um, I like him on the back end. I like him near the line of scrimmage. He's one of our, of our top three there. Um, at number two, we have Evan Neal out of Alabama, the left tackle. Evan Neal, uh, you know, I, I was the primary on, so I got a really good chance to, to dive in on his film. This guy athletically is just ridiculous. You don't see guys that are six, seven and a half the size that he is, that have the athleticism, that it's just absolutely rare. Like the names that come up in my head are like Jonathan Ogden type names, just the absolute best of the best, cream of the crop. He has that kind of upside. He's not quite there yet, right? This is a young guy. He's like barely 21, whatever it is. He's played his first season at left guard, his second season at right tackle, and his third season at left tackle. So one, two, three years in school. He's been a dominant player on that level. He can great people in the run game. Uh, he's very hard to just get around your pass rush um, because of his size and his ability to move. Um, so I think he's got the upside to be like elite, elite. He's got the most upside probably of any player in the draft period. Um, but there's a little bit right now where I'm like, oh, I got to see it. I, I, I want to see him actually compete with these chase youngs of the world before, before I'm really ready to be all in on him. I think there's a little bit of growth room there where it might take a year before Evan Neal is really starting to show what he can be. Um, and the number one guy in the draft, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you're wondering to know because there are two edge rushers that everybody talks about. Our number one guy in the draft is Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan. Now, 
let's start with Kayvon Thibodeau. He's, he's number seven on our big board. He's right there. He's at that 6'9 final grade. So we're talking about a very good player. We think he'll be a strong starter. There's a little bit less there in terms of him showing his ability to do it on the film. I think right now you get Aiden Hutchinson in. He walks on your field the first day, and he's he should be a 10-sack sort of player. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he was a double-digit sack guy right away. He's got the size. He's a little bit lesser in terms of his ability to set the edge and do some things in run defense. Uh, he's also not the greatest bender in the world. Like I mentioned Chase Young a minute ago, he's not that elite, elite type, type of rusher where, where it's the bend and the athleticism. But between the size, the pass rush repertoire, the ability to get home, um, Aiden Hutchinson, we think he's ready-made to be, be a strong starting edge rusher as soon as, as, soon as he comes into, into the NFL. All right, Matt, uh, my question is a two-parter, and it touches on two things that you just ran down. Uh, number one, about edge rushers. Uh, we know Eagles are at 15, 16, 19. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, long since gone. Thibodeau gone. Probably the kid from Georgia gone, too. How many of those strong starter grades include pass rushers, edge players, how many do you have in that group? Because that's something we're debating on whether the Eagles are going to use one of their three first round picks on who would be meritorious, who is ranked in your top 20, which certainly would include all your strong starters who are edge rushers. Yeah. Um, so the, the guys, I don't think I have the full list in front of me right now, but um, we have seven guys that have that, that strong starter grade from the edge position. Really? So seven. that's actually, that's one of the positions in the draft where you look at do it. You, and we feel do you like include Jabo jo uh, in that list? Uh, yes, we include a Jabo in that list. Um, I, I want to find the full thing for you. I can't, I don't, I'm not going to be able to pull it up quickly enough it's right now. Kid from Minnesota, the seventh one, uh, I think Mafe. Um, um, what is his name, Jody? Boye Mafe. Boye Mafe. Yeah. Right. Um, so generally it's, it's, uh, Hutchinson, Thibodeau, uh, Walker, Walker, yep. um, then you have uh, Karloftis, Johnson, um, Ajabo, and then maybe uh, the kid from Minnesota. Is he the seventh one? Because I've looked at him as a potential maybe late first-round pick. If, if you know, Because edge rushers, you know, Matt, when they start falling off the board and they're going to start falling off the board quick, that makes other teams go, we gotta, we got to go up and get an edge rusher. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. I wish I could get my uh, my computer working right now because I'm having issues pulling up my list so that I can actually just see it for you. Um, Isn't this what you do for a living? Look this is up. what I do for a living. <laughs> I usually have the internet working for me for well, a You're explaining that Penn State day, you know, when your laptop's not working the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. That's, that, that's yeah. me today. Okay. Uh, no, but I, I think that's real. I think the run will start coming when you get into the teens there. I, th I think that that's when you can start to expect more of those guys to start coming off the board. Um, Walker's a guy that I think is a really interesting prospect because he's somebody that has the potential to be kind of a first and second down edge guy. And you can move him inside on third down, which is, which is an interesting sort of use. You can bring in another one of your sort of pass rush specialists. When you have a guy like that in there, he's going to need a little bit of seasoning though, certainly on the NFL level. Matty, uh, the second half of my question I did want to get to is how do you put a number on ankle bend? <laughs> I, I, you got to explain yeah. this one to me. Well, so the, the way that we do it historically is through film, right? This is something that scouts, that coaches look at a lot. Actually, when I was in New Orleans, our defensive line coach, Bill Johnson, really, really sold me on this. And what he always talked about was when the player has their foot in the ground and they're at the, the, the apex 
of their pass rush bend, right? So if you picture an edge rusher coming around and he's taking that step where he's really just trying to turn the edge and get around and get around that tackle, if you pause the film right there and find it with his full foot in the ground, with his heel in the ground, what angle does his shin create with the field? That's what ankle bend looks like. And why it's important, because it allows you to play with, with real leverage. If you just bend at the waist, right? Nobody likes a waist, a waist bender. That's a lunger. That's somebody who's going to be on the ground. And everybody thinks you got to bend at the knees so that you're in a real football stance. Well, the key to bending your knees and not falling on your butt is you have to have good ankle bend along with it too. So it takes good lower body flexibility to have the your weight in the proper place to be able to, to do athletic things on the football field. So we really care about this when we're talking about uh, anybody who needs to create explosion on a football field. And especially when you're talking about these get your foot in the ground and, and grate somebody in front of you type positions. Uh, when you can bend that, that, that's a huge thing. Now, we are actually working on, like I mentioned before, trying to create even more ways to, to measure this sort of thing. There is an angle that's being created between the, the player's shin and the ground. We are actually looking into some technology where we can really start to quantify that even better than just with the eye test. How much is that technology you talk about, the improvement there, whether it's just the GPS stuff and, um, you know, putting chips and shoulder pads or whatever, how much has that improved your ability to sort of gauge these these new things that you're talking about, not, not only for you specifically, but around the NFL as a whole? In our teams, are there certain teams? You mentioned Cleveland. We're here with Philadelphia. They're kind of famous for mm – -hmm being ahead of the curve. Um, how, how much is that chasm still exists from those top tier teams that use this kind of stuff to maybe the bottom tier teams, maybe like Cincinnati that has two scouts and about five interns and, and that's it. Yeah. I think we're, we're kind of at the point where it's just about peaked right now. We're, we're kind of at the, at the peak of where that I think is that chasm is the widest. And the reason is you have some teams the Eagles, uh, the Ravens, you could throw them in there, that have really invested, the 49ers, really invested and really um, created something where they're leveraging all this technology that's changed the game. There are some teams that have been really slow to engage with all of that technology and, and leverage it the best. And so you have some really wide gaps right now. So I think a lot of these teams that have fallen behind, we're reaching that point right now where they're going to be trying to do their best to catch up and try to and try to get with it. Everybody spends a lot of money on different technologies, right? You could go out to a football field and training camp and you see all <laughs> kinds of stuff. In terms of uh, really leveraging the data to make better decisions, I think that there's a really wide gap in terms of how that's being utilized right now. And honestly, where we stand is it's not always just the technology is going to have the answer inside of it. A lot of what we do at SIS is we try to use expertise that's built from football and try to create data sets that are really relevant that way. So as many dots as you have and stuff like that, you know, the dots right now, for example, don't tell you anything about where an offensive lineman is placing his hands. Um, so that's something that, that we need to kind of rely on the older school data sources, or we need to find new ways to gather that sort of stuff. So it's not always about just like, what's the best technology out there. Sometimes it's just about collecting data old school, you know, just watching film and making sure that you get all the information, but then actually making it into something that's useful. That's really the challenge. All right, Maddie, I'm going to ask another Eagle-centric question. And again, I'm going to tap into your uh, memory since you can't punch your list stuff. Yeah. Uh, out of 
out of how the uh, solid starter grouping that you said, yeah, up somewhere around the thirty mark, so all first time first rounders and the like. Uh, how many cornerbacks are in that group? Because that's a distinct position that the Eagles will be looking at hard with their first round picks. How many corners do you have in the solid starter group this year? Yeah, let me see if I can find those uh, those corner grades right here. Um, I apologize for the for the issues here. Um, in terms of the corner group, top guy by far is Derek Stingley. I absolutely love Derek Stingley out of LSU. Again, probably a guy that, that might be tougher to get there. Um, other guys that are high on our list, Ahmad Gardner. Um, he's in that solid starter range for sure. Uh, we really like him. Um, Trent McDuffie, he'd be our third-ranked corner. He, he'd be in that range right there. Um, and Andrew Booth um, is another guy. So um, a, decent, a decent group of guys there. Um, Booth comes in just, yeah, but right at that solid starter grade as well. So there are four or five guys there that we four. think could okay. be, could be, yeah. And, and, you know, because we are in Philadelphia, I, I can't believe it's taken this long, Matt, but, uh, we're always talking about quarterbacks and <laughs> this is not considered when I talk about that group thing that goes around, this is not considered to be a very good quarterback trap and I think there's going to be some guys getting pushed up the board as tends to happen at that particular position uh, and it seems like maybe NFL scouts as a whole like uh, Malik Willis more than Twitter scouts for lack of better term but um, the the position as a whole is it really as bad as say the EJ Manuel year or is it uh, a little bit better than that? Where where do you come down with this quarterback class? Quarterback class doesn't look very good. Now it just takes one guy overperforming and you know doing not even Tom Brady, but like Dak Prescott type stuff, and all of a sudden you get a different class there. But um, when I look at it for for me and for us, Malik is going to be the top quarterback on our board. He's not going to be at that at that six seven grade range. We have him right at a six six, so he's kind of on the outside looking in there. Um, and then there are some some other quarterbacks that we have sort of mixed in right right behind him, right in that in that sort of range. Um, the thing about Malik Willis is, I think a few years ago there would have been a, a, a different conversation about him before we've seen like the sorts of Josh, Josh Allen's of the world come along, and even Justin Herbert, guys that have had um, questions about their accuracy coming into the league, and then they come into the league, and it seems to be something that that really um, they're able to develop and. So Malik, I think, is helped by that in the sense of he's got the tools. This is a really toolsy quarterback. He's got great athleticism. It's easy to see that on the film. But also the arm talent, I think, is really there. He can make some throws that I don't think a lot of players in this, in this class can make. There's, there's a real lack of arm talent with a lot of these quarterbacks here, NFL high-end arm talent. So when I look at somebody like a Malik Willis, I think um, he's not close to being ready to start on the NFL level. I think it makes me nervous in terms of whether or not he'll ever get there. But in terms of having that upside and really just to go off of like, okay, let's draft somebody that has Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert sort of um, characteristics and see if we can mold it into something. I think that's what teams are, are falling in love with right now. And I get it because at the end of the day, you can draft a Kenny Pickett. Um, you can draft, you know, one of these other guys, but I think that, they're probably going to be limited in their upside. 
right? Like it's going to be really hard to find a situation where you're ever feeling really great about that player and, and being a starting quarterback for you. I think a little bit of where you end up with Jalen Hurts, to be quite honest, where it's like, okay, we can probably beat some teams with this guy, but can we win a Super Bowl with this guy? Can we go toe-to-toe with Mahomes? And that's where I think you see why Willis has separated himself a little bit in, in sort of the discourse, because I think he's, he's the only one that, that when you look at him, you think, yeah, I could see him actually elevating to that sort of level. And that's the goal. The goal is not to be pretty good goals to win the Super Bowl. Matt, last one from me. And I know that I've asked you this question before, uh, but I, I prefer asking it to you than any other draft guy because of your process and the way that you actually do rank the guys. I'm sure you stay on top of, the other people who put mock drafts out, uh, Jeremiah, the Mel Carpenter of the world, that you don't uh, let it affect the way you look at things, but you want to see it for comparison's sake. So I'm asking you for comparison's sake. There's got to be at least one guy every year who you guys have ranked as the seventh highest grade number that you stop on a guy. And oh, by the way, you're seeing he's down at the bottom of the first round in the mocks or all the way to second. You go, they're missing out. Why the hell don't they see what we're seeing in this kid? And or a guy who you don't have ranked very high at all. You've got him down there in the 30s or the 40s, and you see him coming off the board in the teens for other mock draft guys. Give me at least one of the two. If you want to give me both, I'd appreciate that. Who's the guy that you have higher than everybody else, and who's the guy that you have lower than everybody else? Yeah, I mean, the guy that we have lower, the first one we already talked about, Kayvon Thibodeau, I think it seems like he's, he's ranked a little bit higher than we have him. Um, another guy that comes to mind, going back to the quarterbacks, I hear a lot of talk about Desmond Ritter. I hear, especially from some people that I really respect on Twitter, uh, some of the the reports on him and just how technically sound he is as a quarterback and kind of ready-made. And studying the film on him, I would say that's accurate. He's really technically proficient. Um, he reads the defense really well. He, he's going to come out and be ready to play NFL quarterback, I think. Uh, assuming he can pick up the system, but we're a little bit lower on him overall again, because I don't, I don't see the NFL arm there. I don't see somebody that throws the ball consistently. I don't see a consistent release. I don't see consistent accuracy. And I question whether or not he's got the arm strength to really get it done on the NFL level. So he's a player that, that I think we're a little bit cooler on uh, to kind of answer it in that direction compared to the, to the public. At Matt Mano on Twitter, follow Matt there, uh, the SIS Football Rookie Handbook, which is going online. I'm a little disappointed I can't get my highlighter out this year, Matt. But explain to people where they can get it. And last one for me on top of it, you mentioned that term accuracy with quarterbacks because we talk about that all the time with Jalen Hurts. Not the most accurate kid coming in. That old school thought was, well, if you're not really accurate in college, you're probably not going to get accurate at the pro level. But then all of a sudden, Josh Allen shows up. You mentioned mm-hmm. a little bit with Justin Herbert as well. Why is that kind of thinking that guys can get accurate, more accurate at the pro level? Has that changed a little bit over the past few years? Yeah, I would say that it's changing. Going back to when I was first coming in as a scout, that was a hard and fast rule. And I think most teams pretty much had that as a hard and fast rule. You need to be accurate. You can't teach accuracy. The one thing that a quarterback needs to be able to do, period, is put the ball where he intends it to go. Um, and that and that seemed obvious. And it really matched a lot of what we saw in terms of what was making successful quarterbacks. There weren't a lot of examples of successful quarterbacks that, that didn't have high-level accuracy. Now, what's happened in the last couple of years, a couple of these players have come around, like you've said, where – 
we've seen improvements in their accuracy. So now all of a sudden we've got to think as a scouting community, this trait that we used to think was unmovable, right? You came in with a level of accuracy and that was going to be your level of accuracy. Well, now if there's a chance for us to develop that, Maybe that changes the sorts of players that we can bring in. A great example that I think is a comparison that you'll probably remember is Jason Kidd as a shooter. Jason Kidd, most of his career, he's one of my favorite players growing up. This guy couldn't shoot a lick. That was the one real thing in his game that wasn't there. All of a sudden, by the time he leaves the NBA, he's like the all-time leader in three-pointers made. And obviously, he learned how to shoot. He, he, that part of his game changed. And now look at basketball. Everybody's shooting threes like crazy. That's become something where lots of people have realized, seven-footers have realized that they can learn that skill over time. Maybe passing is like that. And I, and I don't think we have enough data yet, right? We've seen that kind of play out in basketball. But it seems possible that some of the new techniques, some of the new technology, not technology to measure stuff, but technology to help players develop, to help quarterbacks improve, it seems like Josh Allen is really the example. Lamar Jackson, another one, an example of a guy who's actually improved in that in that uh, category. And if that's true, that you can improve in accuracy, well, then let's look at those other traits that that are the ones that we really care about. Let's find guys who are great leaders, find guys who know how to process quickly, find guys with nice big bodies and good athleticism uh, to move around in there and that can keep their eyes downfield. Now, all of a sudden, if you have all of that, but you don't have – the, the high level accuracy. Well, maybe we can teach you the accuracy. And I think that's the the story that's going to lead a team to drafting Malik Willis in the top 10. All right. I have my 2021 SIS football rookie handbook. Again, big, strong, could kill an ant if necessary. Uh, I'm going to miss it. Uh, it is now going to be a PDF that you are going to mail out to everybody. If somebody wants this season's SIS rookie handbook, how are they going about getting it? Yeah, so not quite a PDF, just a straight-up website. So okay. it'll be up on, on uh, by the end of the week. You can go to nfldraft.sportsinfosolutions.com, and you'll find everything that used to be in the book will be available there in a website form, assuming that the Internet is working. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's nfldraft.sportsinfosolutions.com, and from there you'll have – different content that we're making. We wrote a bunch of different articles that are going to be breaking down the draft and different things in college football and the NFL. We're going to have our top 100 big board where you'll see all the players ranked one to 100, even though I prefer looking at things by the grades, by, by what are they going to be on the NFL level? We, we have that for the people. Uh, we've got team pages, so you can go to the Eagles team page and you can see their depth chart. We've got something called SIS Sonar, which we couldn't put in the book, where you can actually click on the different players at different positions on the teams, see what we thought of their performance from a statistical standpoint last year, see where we think the needs are on the Eagles, although I'll say it again, I'm never a proponent of need-based drafting. Um, <laughs> and you can get lots of our really unique statistics there right alongside the NFL-style scouting reports. So for each player, you pull it up, you grab the, the Aiden Hutchinson report, You've got all of the NFL-style scouting reports where we're talking about what is he in the run game, what is he in the pass game, what does he really project to, what are his traits, and then you also get the cutting-edge analytics that SIS has become known for where we're talking about total points, we're talking about uh, blown blocks, we're talking about the things that really matter towards becoming an NFL player or not. Matty, great stuff. We always appreciate you uh, coming on board. Uh, you bring plenty of insight, and I'm sure the new website is going to be phenomenal. Thank you much for hopping on with us today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Matt. Matt Nicarian, uh, former NFL scout turned analytics draft guru. 
He truly is. And uh, gave us good stuff today. Appreciate him hopping on. All right. Uh, we'd be running late because Matt was that good. We do this from time to time. We'll come back, put a short bow on the show. It's going to be a bow tie on the show today here on Birds 365. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Yeah, Johnny Mac and Jody Mac here with you on Birds 365. All right, we only got a couple of minutes left. So it'll be News one. breaking late again, Jody. Oh, love you. Back you're you're interrupting me. I know where you're I going. Know. Oh, I'm going to make right. it a question for you rather than a late breaking news. Go I didn't know if you saw it. 13 seasons in the NFL, seven of which were played in New Orleans, six of which were played here in Philadelphia, if he is so lucky. And to me, He's a borderline Hall of Fame guy. I'm, I am I have less of a read on the way they pick him in the NFL than I do in baseball. And it seems with every passing year, I've got less of a grasp on the NFL. And, oh, by the way, it seems like they're adding more guys. So that portends well for the guy we're going to bring up in just a second here because I think he's right there on the cutting edge. If he does make it, is Malcolm Jenkins a New Orleans Saint 
or a Philadelphia Eagle because he officially retired today after 13 seasons? I, uh, I, ooh, I didn't know you're going to go this route. Yeah, uh, see, that's why I I'm here is to ask these uh, probing questions. I do not think Malcolm is a Hall of Fame player. I, I think he's a great player. I think he's one of the smartest players uh, who's ever played the game, played seven different positions for Jim Swartz, seven different positions. It has changed it for years and years and years. And we can ask Damo this when he comes on late. No safety's gotten a Hall of Fame, and that's changed. There's been like a break. I remember I tell it all the time because I used to work in uh, Minnesota. Uh, Paul Krause, who is still to this day the NFL's all-time interception leader, it took him, I don't know, how many, 20 years to get in the Hall of Fame um, as the all-time interception leader, and he was like a seven-time All-Pro. Um, now, it, as I said, recently they seem to value the position more, as you mentioned, you don't know how voters think, but I think Malcolm's a three-time pro bowler, to me, two-time Super Bowl champion, probably more important. Um, I don't think he reaches that level of Hall of Famer. But as far as which team he would choose, uh, he was better with the Eagles. than the. No, I'm not asking which he would choose. I'm asking with who you would choose. Do you oh, think Eagles. of him more? He was a much better player with the Eagles than, than the Saints. He was a great player uh, for the Eagles. The Saints, Sean Payton says the first time with the Saints that, you know, that's the one player he didn't let, want to let out of the building. He claimed that after the pack when Malcolm developed into this great player. One of the reasons Malcolm developed into a great player in Philadelphia, and I know we got to leave, because they used him differently. They used him all over the place. He was drafted as a corner. People right. forget. Corner coming out of college. Yeah. Uh, and he turned into this massive, big, physical, strong safety, played at the line of scrimmage. Uh, completely different player in Philadelphia. That's where the versatility kicked in, where he played those seven different positions. He played linebacker at times for Jim Swartz. Uh, he played slot corner everywhere. Um, obviously, both safety positions. Um, he was a much better player in Philadelphia than than New Orleans. Yeah, I, I, I say he's a better player in Philadelphia, but he was damn good with New Orleans. The fact that Peyton said what he did, my mistake letting him get out of the building and then correcting that mistake by bringing him back thereafter well into his 30s lets you know what Peyton thought of him and his ability to make plays for the Saints. It's close. I'm coming down on the Eagles side too, even though it's one less year, five, seven years with the Saints, six years with the Eagles. I would say, yes, he was a bigger factor and a better player with the Eagles. But don't undersell what he did for the Saints either the first time or the return time. He was a damn good player from then. It's a good debatable topic. I think Philadelphia wins out in the end, and Malcolm is, Malcolm is considered more of an Eagle than a Saint. But it's actually pretty close. That's just one of the things we will add into tomorrow's mix. Who do we got logged up for? We got uh, anybody booked in for tomorrow? Boy, I got to, I don't have my calendar. I, off the top of my, I should know uh, it off the top of my head, and I don't I know. I should know. I'm getting old. Oh, Grant Paulson's going to be with us. We're going to take a yeah, we're gonna talk Washington skin, excuse me. Oh, my God. Commander's point of view uh, on the division we'll, rival. We'll talk more about it tomorrow, but my final point, those three Pro Bowls for Malcolm, all in Philadelphia. 
Yeah, he was a better player here in Philly, but he's a pretty damn good player. In oh, he was good. Kevin Kincaid tomorrow, too, uh, yeah. according to Xander Krause. We got to uh, lock in Kincaid. He said he could probably do Friday. Should be good. I know we definitely have uh, Grant Paulson and hopefully Kevin Kincaid. All right. Uh, we will be back in 22 hours from now. That's two and two. Johnny Mack, I'll talk to you then. Thanks for watching Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.